This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of Scripture. Yeah, there are a number of misunderstandings. Um, one is just ignorance. A lot of people think jazz is something, and it turns out they it's not. Um, another is from very conservative people. Uh, it's sinful music, mm. and uh, it was appropriately banned by Christians in the 20s. And uh, that's a partly right objection because sometimes jazz was played in in kind of low-life places and there was sin going on mm. but the best of jazz i always direct them to you know lewis armstrong and duke ellington and errol garner and say look listen to this it's high art and uh it's got all the ingredients of deep aesthetics give it a chance Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about it being associated with sin um, because I feel like from the time I grew up, music, you know, was always associated with sin. You just had to get over that first thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, well, I, and I growing up in the 70s and 80s, I remember the, um, you know, the kind of burn the Beatles. You know, the Beatles have satanic messages. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Reverse engineered and Led Zeppelin and all that. Yes, their way to uh, heaven is uh, yeah. Satan and reverse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Only, only problem is we don't listen to music in reverse, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, all kinds of weird psychology going on there. But I wonder if um, if jazz had a movement like that where it was. I mean, I can imagine, you know, coming out of New Orleans and uh, funerary marches that it could be associated with the occult as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, there is a grand mixture of cultural facts in New Orleans. <clears throat> One of them was the church and the marching band, which produced jazz. But there's voodoo, hmm. uh, all kinds of strange religions. and. Uh, most of the jazz musicians I know weren't part of that, but they're guilty by association. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that that's how that happened. Um, in this book, and the book we're talking about is called A Supreme Love, The Music of Jazz and the Hope of the Gospel. Uh, it is a very wide-ranging book, by the way. Like, uh, you get a history of slavery, uh, yeah. the, in the, the intellectual movements that led to the dehumanizing of West African uh, peoples and indigenous peoples, the history of jazz. Like, if you didn't know anything about jazz, this is a primer on jazz. I was happy to know that I I recognized about a third of the names. <laughs> Good. So I thought I didn't know anything about jazz. I was like, oh, I know some of these people just through popular jazz. Um yeah. Uh, it was just a fascinating uh, rollick through the entire issue of jazz from theological uh, to historical to philosophical. Um, but you, I was so happy to see you uh, dunk on or poo-poo this one view uh, about jazz, which was essentially that it has to be pleasing in some way. It has to have this kind of, uh, it has to have an aesthetic ple pleasantness to it. Um 
Can you explain why maybe the pleasantness or the the mood of the music doesn't determine uh, its value? Yeah, wonderful question. Um, you know, as you saw in the book, I make a big difference between happiness and joy. Hmm. Um, and uh, there's a lot of happy music out there. Uh, you know, the stuff they play in elevators or at <laughs> Macy's, or they're trying to make you feel good so that you'll buy. Um, and there's also, sadly, there's happy Christian music, uh, which, uh, you know, takes cheap shots, uses all the tricks to get you high. And um, many people uh, respond to that by saying, I I like it. Hmm. Um, my counter argument is that jazz ultimately will lead to deep happiness but I prefer the word joy because mm. it, to me it represents going through the valley of the shadow of death uh, until we get to the banquet table at the end. And so uh, j much jazz is deeply joyful, but it's always got a, an edge, a suffering, a, uh, a grounding in uh, sad human experience. Um, that's a bit um, abstract to say, but... You know, when you, you listen to uh, Duke Ellington, Black, Brown, and Beige, you can see, yeah, it's really joyful because there's a lot of dance movement and rhythm. But it's uh, at the expense, or maybe because of the suffering of Black people, during uh, slavery and beyond. Yeah, I think uh, one of the powerful elements of this book is you you help people realize that jazz is not a music alone. It's actually an entire cultural and experience yeah. and, a, and a history and um, and that it doesn't want to escape that, uh, that it's <clears throat> the goal isn't to escape its own past or its deep miseries, but to pull that forward. Um, and that phrase you just use, it's this movement from deep misery to inextinguishable joy, um, I think is the one that helped clarify to me what's going on. But it also you also point out that it becomes a form of protest music as well. And, yeah. uh, how, how does it function as pro? I know because a lot of people are thinking, you know, Glenn Miller Orchestra in the mood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not protesting anything. Yeah. Um, well, uh there is not only in jazz itself, but in its precursors, uh, elements of a social critique, um, objections to injustice. I mean, just take the blues, which is an integral part of uh, jazz. And uh, much of the blues is sometimes a fun loving, sometimes a mocking, sometimes a deeply sad critique of uh the injustice of a slave master who dresses up on sunday and smiles and then monday brings out the whip and mm. uh treats them treats the slaves inhumanly and that element of social protest is not just about slavery but about almost any kind of injustice uh trans it it, it comes through almost all of good jazz uh sometimes very subtly you know, you're not going to listen to Errol Garner and say, oh, uh, he's got a social agenda. But there's a, a, a freshness of jazz 
which I think makes makes it wonderfully attractive. Part of which is due to its um, well, its critique, but also just its alternative to European uh, music. Um, you know, opera. Mm. Of course, I love opera, but uh, it was a it emerged in an an era when um, there's an awful lot of commercial sounds and easy listening, and Europeans <clears throat> European music was getting lazy, if I can use that term. Uh, you know, Mahler and and then Schoenberg were sort of overwrought, though beautiful. Um, and jazz comes, and it's just fresh. Hmm. You can clap your hands to it, and you can listen to it, and you can fall in love with the soloists uh, who took the melody to new places. And uh, it was it was just a, a marvelous alternative to much of the predominant culture. So the protest can take the form of just freshness as well as uh, social critique. So even the actual forms of music being played and demonstrated in jazz at that period is is, is in some way the subtext is we're not doing that over there. Yeah, great. Uh, we're doing yeah. something different. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um, um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, just that um, that's an element to go back to your one of your first questions. It actually alienated some people because it didn't sound like the music they were used to listening to. But in fact, it is one of its uh, great virtues, uh, you know, the form of it. And it, it, it explains, you remember in the book, how we go through the classic jazz and then move to mm -hmm. bebop mm -hmm. and cool and it explains in part why I believe bebop is in continuity with with old jazz, but many people didn't um, uh, accept it, including Louis Armstrong himself. Hmm. He called it the music of mischief, <laughs> and uh, it's because it was just different, very creative, fast moving, uh, improvisatory. Uh, much smaller groups played it, and therefore. It was more of a, a music you listen to in clubs than, uh, you know, in great big dance halls. So um, just to say that the freshness has characterized much of jazz all the way through its history, but it's not been uh, easily accepted by all people. Hmm. And it, if you are accustomed to certain rhythms and patterns, I mean, I'm a drummer, but I came up through punk rock, uh, oh, heavy metal and punk rock. Yeah. And to me, jazz drummers are the most intimidating people on the face <laughs> of the earth. Yeah. Because they do things that I watch them and I just think there's no world in which I'm going to be able oh, to do that God. without a I lot of practice and expertise. I hear you. Um, and so there is, I mean, you say unexpected and freshness, but I think there's some ways in which it's almost snake-like where you can see the movements, but you can't quite figure out how oh. they're making those sounds come out and that it's really puzzling and it requires a lot of disciplined listening as well. That's really well put. Uh, you know, the hero of most of us pianists is Art Tatum and he, it can't be done. Mm. <laughs> it's impossible to play like him. Mm. Uh, and even with all the practice in the world, uh, you won't come out with his creativity, his arrangements, and uh, you just, I had to wrestle with myself and say, look, 
am I going to keep playing jazz piano? Uh, what's the point? There's an Art Tatum. <laughs> and uh, I finally said, you know, well, there's room for you know mediocrity as well as uh, <laughs> greatness. So I kept playing. But uh, I- I'm with you all the way. Uh, speaking of punk rock and 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 that kind of music. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about punk and protest. So yeah, go for it. Yeah, well, I've been enjoying uh, Bono's book, Surrender. Hmm. He's one of my heroes. And he grew up in the punk rock scene. And he, you know, embraced some of it, but tried to go beyond it artistically. And I think one of Bono's great uh, contributions again musically more than in 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 verbs although he does speak about it is a uh, a fresh awareness of human nature the image mm-hmm. of god uh as well as justice um and his music reflects that to me um so you know the punk i think did us a great service in uh breaking away from disco and and all that sort of stuff but then it got stuck in its own darkness Hmm. and people like bono were able to break out of that and bring us something very fresh I think it's what a lot of people don't actually know about punk. They just find it aesthetically displeasing. Or then it got popular in the '90s. They, you know, they made pop versions of punk that kind of, you know, ruined the whole thing. I know. Uh, but it, it is a protest uh, movement, and it is a lot of punk rock lyrics are centered on injustice and uh, inhumane treatment of people, and even if it's whining at times um, and governments that are doing the wrong things. Um, and you note in the book. Uh, that, you know, jazz musicians could sometimes be judged by others as to how much they overtly bucked the system when it came to racism, how much they really stood up and said, this is wrong, uh, which I was a little surprised at, um, that that was such a uh, an ongoing issue, at least between jazz musicians. So is there... And you you like to celebrate Armstrong, uh, saying that well, you know he did, he wasn't actually an Uncle Tom uh, in the jazz world. Um, but why was this such a big deal for jazz musicians? Uh, like, what were the the actual daily issues that they were facing as far as race relations? Well, they faced a lot. Uh, you know, when the Count Basie Orchestra traveled, uh, it was black, and they weren't allowed in white hotels. I mean, just simple stuff like that. Um, and uh, when Benny Goodman hired some black people in his band, that was very controversial uh, because you weren't supposed to uh, mix it up. But beyond that, um, there was a a kind of jazz which Louis Armstrong embodied, which was very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, my parents used to go hear him. They were white. Uh, Dad worked for a corporation that would hire Armstrong as entertainment. Hmm. And he would come out with his big grin and he would uh, delight the audiences to the point where someone, I quote this in the book, like Dizzy Gillespie said he came right off the plantation. Mm-hmm. And when he real when Dizzy realized all that uh Armstrong did to fight racism, he said, I was wrong. Um, but it's hidden beneath this veneer of 
uh, well, it's not a veneer. It's the, it's a reality of, of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of the things that draws people to jazz, but it's easy to miss the, um, the subtle social critique that uh, underlies um, this uh, entertainment. You know, in the book, I think I mentioned one of Duke Ellington's choices was he was asked by the Cotton Club and places like that to play jungle music, mm. you know, which was horribly racist and was to delight the white audiences. So he he could have boycotted the whole thing and said, I'm not doing that. Instead, he used so-called jungle music to be incredibly creative and subversive. And uh, Hmm. that's why his jazz is so appealing to, uh, even to people who are racially conscious. uh, It's not, you know, happiness, entertain the white guy, uh, dance a few steps. It's it's a rich aesthetic. And... uh, Jazz is not alone in that. Uh, I think Beethoven was doing that, and uh, in his own way, Bach was doing it. So, uh, yeah, very important uh, to see that that race still figures into um, the vocabulary of jazz, and sadly, we're not over it. We're not past it. Do you think that... um... There might, and this is asking for broad speculation, but there might have been uh, a sense in which creating this entirely separate musical culture that is difficult to play, um, just as far as musicianship goes, is a way of like asserting power uh, and, you know, a way of asserting power within a culture and saying, you can't do what we do over here. It can be. Uh, I'm sure people like Miles Davis. Uh, had that view um there's the famous case where which i cite in the book i think it's roy eldridge or somebody uh who is meets the challenge of downbeat Hmm. uh, magazine to say i can always tell the difference between a black musician and a white musician and he got it all wrong Hmm. um so there is a desire for power uh understandable Mm -hmm. um and unfortunately, if you can talk as a Christian, uh, that desire for power, uh, while rightly birthed in its origins in protest, wrongly can become, uh, you know, we're, we're different. We're better than you are. Black power. Uh, I've struggled a lot with this because I'm a white guy. Um and uh, I like to play in a black style. I think it is anyway. And uh, I'm I'm painfully aware of uh, the way that white people have made black people suffer and how they uh, understandably rebel against that with assertions of black uniqueness that mm. white people can't possibly match. Mm. And of course, the gospel has incredible answers for that. Of course, black people are unique. Um, so is every culture, but in Christ, we're one. You know, there's no Scythian or free or man or woman. And um, uh, so, my friends, my favorite jazz musician friends, uh, all say, uh, we're, We want to share this music with you. It came from us, 
and maybe you don't do it always as well as we do, but um, it's here for you, uh, not for ourselves. Hmm. Uh, that's a rare, but I think really important attitude compared to the initiatives of, of uh, vengeful black power. Uh, returning to that aesthetic issue of how how jazz sounds to people, obviously there's some jazz that everybody knows and and loves and um, can sing along to, uh, but the majority that I've listened to is not sing. <laughs> you can't can't bebop along to it. Right. Um, uh, there is, uh, I wonder, also the issue of. You know, if it has to come out of an inextinguishable joy from the the valley of death, you know, if there's the 18 year old musical prodigy that grows up in the white suburbs um, and plays in the jazz band, in some ways, I could imagine that feels the same to me of, of that same 18 year old going out and starting a punk band and saying they're playing punk, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. And and in some ways, we would say, well, they're mimicking a movement, but they're not actually in that movement. Um, is there a rightful line of demarcation where we would say like well you're 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 playing the music but you're not you're not doing jazz yeah that's a really really good question um i'll tell you a story then i'll elaborate um one of my best friends i dedicated the book to him is monty alexander and uh he never learned how to read music he's maybe the greatest pianist on the planet today hmm. after oscar peterson uh, went to heaven and uh he was playing in a club in new york and uh, this proud father and his son, uh, uh, black people, uh, came up to him in the break. And he, the, the guy, the dad said, my son has a question for you. And Monty, so generous, he said, sure, what is it? Uh, were you playing the Mixolydian scale uh, with anticipated <laughs> syncope? And so Monty said, stop um, you need to go to a, a couple of clubs when you get old enough and see what we are going through. Uh, you need to go to the trenches. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where jazz comes from. And Monty's even a little skeptical, gently so, because he's he's participated in it, uh, of uh, jazz instruction from universities. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he recognizes that there's some really good stuff there. Uh, but he says there's inevitably a kind of academic correctness, which, yeah, it's jazz, okay, but it lacks the grit. It lacks the uh, coming out of the trenches. Uh, and, and that's an almost uh, impossible uh, quality to, you know, articulate, let alone um, imitate. But it, I think he's right. Um, I used to, you know, I grew up in France. I don't know if you knew that, but hmm. uh, I we we had we had a lot of jazz in France. The French love jazz to their great credit. But or and some of the musicians I played with who were superbly technically able um, didn't have swing. They hmm. didn't have uh, that earthy element um and so and many of them even even the best of them had to had to count out the measures you know like there's a thing we do in jazz called trading fours and uh i don't know if you do do this in rock but let's say the sax player 
takes four measures and then the piano four more and they go back and forth like that and it's it's a device that is commonly used and uh we when we would do this in france you could hear one two three okay it's my turn <laughs> and we you know we don't have to do that we just feel it we, right. we know it's stuck. now that that's very unfair as a complete generalization because there's some superb french musicians who don't count but uh that's just getting back to your your question uh there's a there's a sense of good jazz being born in the trenches um mm. uh i think a lot of good music was born in the trenches mm. uh, the the huguenot psalms um mm. very good point very hard to articulate because uh there is a technical way that's faithful i have a couple of books how to play jazz and you learn a lot from those but you better not depend on them because it's you know it's very limited yeah well for drummers swing and pocket playing in the pocket are the two uh the, the two hard things right so i, yeah, I understand <laughs> is sometimes or at least some forms of jazz as kind of um exegeting scripture passages or uh the, the story <laughs> of scripture uh what parts of scripture you know just to state the obvious do you think they would be working out of well uh metaphorically speaking uh the wisdom literature hmm. um i may have said this in the book you know job is one of the great blues singers of all times hmm. and um I guess the greatest blues singer was Jesus in the garden. Uh, please take this cup away from me. That's 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 pure blues. Um, now the wisdom literature, at its best, uh, reflects this uh, mentality of uh, how do I get out of this? I'm mm. deep down in the pit, um, and I'm even cynical about it. If you take, you know, Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. um, and then and i think jazz does that i have a theory which i've never really published because i'm not sure it's verifiable but there's a a parallel between hebrew poetic structure mm -hmm. and um jazz patterns uh the simplest one one would be you know, take the, the obvious, um, you know, biblical uh, parallelisms, uh, you know, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and uh, it says the same thing in another way afterwards, and B.B. King saying, um, the thrill is gone, hmm. thrill is gone, and then back to the clincher, which is music um so i i can't prove this but i'm pretty sure there's a uh, at least instinctual parallelism hmm. between hebrew uh poetry and uh, some jazz forms yeah the antiphonal character of the psalms and the antiphonal character of much jazz so that that would be a obvious answer to your question there's also more subtle answers which is that a number of jazz musicians have set biblical texts to music hmm. 
uh, Dave Bubik, whatever mm. you think of him, mm. um, he he has written a great deal of sacred music based on the Bible. Um, and, you know, Armstrong has a, an album called The Good Book. And um, much of Duke Ellington's music, his his more serious music was um, based on biblical insights. Um, his autobiography, which has the, I guess, unfortunate title, Music is My Mistress, um, it, he has an interviewer in there who says, uh, how can you believe in God or something like that? And he says, how can you not? <laughs> mm. And uh, so the, uh, the, the Bible was the reality book, the fundamentally uh, comforting as well as challenging book that brought slaves out of slavery into being African-Americans. Uh, you so the Bible is just all over the place in the music, sometimes subtly, sometimes overtly. Uh, so yeah, I, that would be how I would answer that question. I I constantly battle with this, and maybe it's because my own upbringing, childhood, life experiences of um, being very anti-romantic, <laughs> because uh i see the danger in romanticism you know even when i was a pastor you you would have to deal with people in their marriage who are holding their marriage hostage hostage to romantic ideals about what it should be etc it can be dangerous right um and i've come to see that that's not you know you can't you can't boohoo everybody all the time um but is there i mean is that what you like about the jazz that it, ultimately it's grounded in 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 the reality of reality and that it um and that it still holds this joyful hope out sure um when i was a kid um i studied music with a a man who was profoundly anti-romantic hmm. and he uh he believed that so many of the uh orchestras uh, sir thomas beecham and other were um needlessly slow and methodical and he thought the movement to counter that with uh, precision um like tilson thomas and others that was the way to go he didn't even like wordsworth because he thought it was too uh gooey mm -hmm. um i uh, not to sound prideful but i grew out of that i think the best of music certainly has structure to it and doesn't want to play on the emotions but it's it's full of uh joyful sound and romantic adventure and uh you know Berlioz who's one of my favorite composers uh he writes as a romantic but there's always a deep structure behind it mm. and i think that's true of the best of jazz um the romance has to be there because uh, the music is so joyful, but it's, it can't be a pure uh, experience of of sounds and elements that that are there to please. Um, I used to play a little church organ. I'm not very good at it, but during the uh, offering, I knew that if I played enough diminished chords, people would give more. <laughs> That's completely <laughs> manipulative. So you just play 
good music and hope that they'll give what it's supposed to. Anyway, um, yeah, very good question. I, I know that that's not universally true because I worked in the Church of Scotland for a couple of years where I swear half of their hymns end on a diminished chord and people did not give that much. <laughs> All right. You could hear the clinking of pound coins going in, in the uh, the tray everywhere. Uh, uh Finally, could you give us, uh, those of us who have never um, encountered any of this music before, or maybe we've only heard it in the background of movies, um, but uh, could you give us a small diet that we could follow? Maybe some people we could enter the waters of jazz and start hearing what you're uh, celebrating here? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, well, in the book, I make a, a very short list of stuff you must listen to if you're going to get into this. And I would stand by that list. It includes... Um, obviously Armstrong and Ellington and Garner and the greats, but it also includes uh, some more creative people. Um, I don't know if you saw that Wayne Shorter just died. Um, he was the most advanced, creative, complex jazz musician and composer in recent times. Hmm. And um, I think you got to listen to Wayne. Uh, not It's not everybody's cup of tea. And it takes a while to, you know, get used to the sounds. But once you do, uh, you see you see how how gorgeous it is. Um, so I would say both kinds of music, the accessible stuff like Armstrong and uh, to some extent Ellington, and the more um, recherche, uh, deep creative music of, um, I don't know, Wayne Shorter or, uh, some, you know, some of the the great uh, meditative musicians, Gotta you got to go to them. Mm. I don't know whether your listeners are okay with this, but it's a bit like learning how to enjoy uh, a good wine or a good whiskey. Um, you can start with the... Uh, Rieslings and the easy to right. uh, recognize sweet wines, but you've got to go to the Bordeaux and and the, the Cotillon that, that are a, aged before you can say, "I now I know wine." Hmm. And a lot of people, when they if they start with that, they don't like it. Mm -hmm. it this is too rich, too complicated. Uh, but uh, it, it's an educational process. One of the things I appreciate. I don't agree with absolutely everything, but I really appreciate Ken Burns' mm. documentary on jazz. And one of the things I appreciate about him is that he he gives you an, a really good sampling of the best of the music. In fact, uh, they've called a, a CD from from the uh, documentary, which has these things on it. And I I would recommend to a a novice just get the CD and play this, mm. and see what you think. That's really helpful. Well, uh, Dr. William Edgar, uh, thank you for this book, A Supreme Love, The Music of Jazz and the Hope of the Gospel um, is riveting from beginning to end. And again, it's not just a book about jazz. It's about American culture, about race. It's about it's about so many things uh, that are uh, in, included in the music and the culture of jazz. And thank you for your wisdom here today. Oh, no, thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org.
Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.